0: Well, good morning, ICC family. We are so glad that you're here with us today, and I am uh, just thrilled to welcome you to worship. I'm Barrett, lead pastor here at Allen Community Church, and uh, we are all worshiping together today. We're so excited. There are many who are here in the room with me, and there are many who are online in our online community, and I'm so glad to see everybody. So uh, if you will, let's pray together as we uh, journey into the word today. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you. You are God. We are not. Lord, from you and through you and to you are all things, and to your name be the glory forever. You are life. And Lord, today your life pours forth from your very self, Lord, and you desire to share your life with us. Lord, we thank you that from your fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And this morning, Lord, we come in a position of brokenness and neediness. Lord, we come needing you. And so, Lord, we come today... Lord, only with a cry for mercy we come, Lord, with a thankfulness in our heart, a declaration that by your love, Lord, in what you have done in sending your son Jesus, Lord, there is sufficiency for salvation. We thank you, Lord, for your life lived for us, your death died for the forgiveness of our sins, Lord, your burial in our place and your resurrection from the dead. And we thank you, Lord, for your finished work, your gracious gift, Lord, that you give all who believe. And Lord, we just pray today, Lord, that we could continue to look to you and find you sufficient. God, bless this time in your word. Lord, would we hear from you today by your Holy Spirit and your living word. Lord, would we hear from you, not just with our physical ears, but Lord, with our hearts. We need you, Lord, to bless and to move in our hearts in this time. We open ourselves to you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church family, I hope you've already got your Bibles open to the book of Hebrews. Chapter uh, 9 and 10, I'm so excited this morning to be able to have the opportunity uh, to, to teach uh, probably one of my most favorite passages of Scripture in the entire book of Hebrews. And I do say that a lot, but I really, really do mean it. Uh, we are in the middle of this study of the book of Hebrews, and if you've been tracking with us, what you know is that in the midst of uh, this study, we've been talking about how really Hebrews is all about Jesus. Uh, The declaration of this book is the very series title that we've named this series, and that is Jesus is what? Come on, you can do better than that. Jesus is better. That's right. And in this book, what we've been learning is uh, truly that Jesus is better in every way. Thirteen different times in the book, in fact, what we see is that it's mentioning how Jesus is truly better. Over and over, there's comparisons and contrasts. Jesus is better. And 14 different times it describes Jesus as perfect. In other words, he lacks nothing. When you go to Jesus, you have everything that you need. There's no deficiency in him. He is sufficient and he's better in every way. And Jesus is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what a great encouragement that is to know that there is a hope, there's an anchor for our soul that is beyond any present circumstance of this moment. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying to us over and over and over, look to Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. Be happy in Jesus. Find security in Jesus. Hope in Jesus. He is the one your heart was made for. He is all that you need. And so today we get the privilege of being able to continue uh, in our study of the book of Hebrews. And really, if you remember uh, kind of how I, I helped you see, there's a structural outline to the book. And if you look at the outline here, What you probably remember us talking about is really the book is divided into three sections. There's a first section talking about the better person of Jesus. The second section is talking about how Jesus is better as a priest, his priesthood. And then in the last section, he talks about how the life that Jesus offers us, the life that we're called to live by faith in him, is a better life. Well, in today's uh, teaching, in the passage that we're looking at here in chapter nine through the midway of chapter 10, we are going to be finishing up this middle section, which is all about the better priesthood of Jesus. And to be honest with you, um, this section really is… the section we're looking at today is kind of the climax of this whole priesthood section. It is an incredible, incredible passage that we're going to be looking at. And we've been talking over and over about how Jesus is our priest. One of the offices that he has, remember, there's three main offices that Jesus has, prophet, priest, and king. And one of his main offices is the office of of a priest. In other words, he is our mediator. He's the one that goes between our holy God and us who are broken and sinful. And he mediates on our behalf as our priest. And one of the, the, the incredible works of ministry that he has Uh, we're going to be looking at today. And the topic of today is better atonement. But I want to start by just asking you uh, for a second to to relate a little bit. I want to establish why I believe this whole book and particularly why I believe this section and this passage today are so important. Reality for us in life, I think all of us know this, it's this. We are plagued in life with shame. Shame. We all experience it. We are also plagued in life with fear. We are also plagued in life with a sense of guilt, particularly in relation to God. Often when we sense, uh, when we even imagine going into the very presence of God, often what we feel is one of these things or a combination of these things. Can I get a witness? A sense of shame, a sense of guilt, and a sense of fear. Well, the reality is, I guess the question could be, why is this? Why is this? And the answer to that is sin. And it's not just sin like a one-time sin. It's sin and then kind of this, this nature of sin that we are plagued with we not only have sinned, but we have a constant awareness of the fact that we have sinned and, in fact, that we continue to be sinful people. Anybody here? Witness? Yep. And the reality is what happens is because of our sin and our constant awareness of it, here's what happens. What's the effect? It plagues us. It it, it begins to to paralyze us. You all know what I'm talking about? It haunts us. And not only that, it, it really hinders us. It, it, we have this feeling like our, our sin and our, and our sin nature, right, they just, it just follows us around. Whether it's something particular that you have done that you just can't get over, whether it's some continual habit that you can't seem to shake, uh, whether it is just this, this overwhelming sense of of just the brokenness of heart and life, and and it leads us to this feeling of of failure. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever identify with any of this? Just show of hands. Who has ever identified with any of this? Okay. So the questions remain for us, how is it that we are to deal with our guilty consciences? And how is it that we can find freedom from shame and failure. And an- another big question is really, is it even possible healing for the soul, a release from shame? Is it even possible to have peace in the presence of God? Well, today, we're going to be looking at this topic, Jesus is Better, and we're going to be talking about how he is a better priest, but specifically today, we're going to talk about how he offers a better atonement. All right. So if you're taking notes this morning, and that should be everyone, I would love it if you get something out uh, to take notes with so that you don't just sit and listen to me, but that you really seek to understand the Word. I would love it today at brunch or lunch or tonight at dinner if you have the opportunity to talk about the Word of God and what you've learned today with those uh, who are in your house or your friend group those who are in your family, I would love it if you have the opportunity in your life groups this week to bring it up, go deeper, and to apply it. And ultimately, I would love it if you would use these notes to help disciple someone else into an understanding of God's Word. So today, everybody's taking notes, better atonement. Our core truth for the day is this. Jesus can do what no priest has ever done before. Jesus can do what no priest has ever done before. And here's what it is. He can truly and finally cleanse us by the sufficient sacrifice of himself. Everybody writing it down? Jesus can do what no priest has ever done before. He can do what no one has ever done before. Here's what he can do. He can truly and finally cleanse us by the sufficient sacrifice of himself. Will y'all read this with me, everybody? Here we go. Jesus can do what no priest has ever done before, truly and finally cleanse us by the sufficient sacrifice of himself. That is the main idea of the passage that we're going to be looking at today. Before I get into this uh, main idea, here's something that I probably, I probably need to do. And that is, I need to define atonement, all right? Because I titled the message, Better Atonement. So everybody, I want you to write down, if you've never heard, what is this word atonement, all right? It's not a word that you probably talk about on Friday nights hanging out with friends. However, it is an important word if you want to study the Bible, It is an important word if you want to be serious about knowing Jesus and really understanding what Jesus has done. It's a word that I want to teach us, and I want to use it in a commonplace language in our church because I think it's that important. So here is what it is. Atonement is the work that Christ did in his life and his death to earn our salvation. Atonement is the work of Christ, okay? The work of Christ— in both his life and his death, to earn our salvation. Now, the reality is, it is super, super important that all of us understand that salvation does not come by anything that we do. None of us can be saved by works of the law. There is not a single one of us that is righteous no not even one and none of us by what we do could ever accomplish salvation but the beauty of the gospel the good news of the gospel is that god in his great love for us has done what none of us could do he didn't have to do it but he's chosen to do it by his love for us and in grace in other words it is wholly apart from what we do it is all by what he has done for us in sending his only son jesus God has done it all from start to finish he's done it all everything needed for us to be put back into right relationship with God God has done it all and he's done it in his son Jesus and when you look at Jesus he didn't just come as our example he didn't just come to to just remind us of God's love he came to to be a worker work was needed and Jesus has accomplished the work needed in full in both his life and his death so that we could be saved. It's a beautiful reality. And so when we talk about today, better atonement, what we're talking about is how Jesus and his work for us in his life and in his death is better in every way. Now, before we move on, one of the things that I know that I need to do is to, to just go ahead and, and, and talk about the fact that uh, we need to have a frank discussion about blood, all right? If you heard the passage read today, right? I think all of us heard the passage read today. One of the things that you will notice, right, is there is a lot of discussion about blood. Anybody else notice that today? There is a whole lot of discussion about blood. Well, if you look at, for instance, chapter 9, verse 19 and 20. Um, it says there, for when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses and all the people, he took blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you. Look at verse 21. He says, in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And listen to this. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So, what we have here in the passage is an important connection. When we talk about the work of Jesus and his atonement, when we talk about what he does as our priest, our great high priest, we have to make a connection that this atonement is happening through blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Blood is required. This is a constant theme of Scripture. And some people might think about Christianity and they go, my word, this is just so gory. This is just so messy. I just don't even understand all this discussion of blood. Well, I want to unpack for a second a little bit of, of what blood uh, signifies and why it's, it's really so important. When you think of blood, um, really there could be three things that we can think of. Um, I heard Tim Keller speak about these uh, things these three things that really are 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 all very present in the idea the concept the reality of blood that I think we can can really be helped by one is brokenness i mean my word if if you got blood coming out of your arm <laughs> if you got blood gushing out of your eye do you think you got a problem right most of us realize that when there is blood being shed right it signifies that there is some kind of problem. Not only that, but when you think of blood, you also have this awareness of guilt. You know the phrase, you know, you've got blood on your hands, or you've got blood on your head. In other words, um, talking about blood, there is an implication that I am guilty. I I have responsibility for something wrong. And then third, what we see is when we talk about blood, we, we talk about the fact that you know, anybody ever gotten blood all over a piece of clothing or a piece of furniture? It, it is hard to get out. And, and, and with blood, what we, what we see is this, this reality of, of, of staining. So when we think of all this discussion of blood, um, one of the things we've got to realize is it's, it's pointing the fact that we, we have problem, like sin, the consequence of sin uh, brings blood. It points to the fact that there is a deep brokenness, brokenness that like a religious system can't fix, brokenness that my morality can't improve, brokenness that self-help therapies just can't figure out. We have a deep problem that's got to be solved. We also have guilt. We all know there's problems in our world. We also know, we ought to know, that we are part of the problem. (laughs) It's easy, it's real easy to point the finger and, and, and judge other people, to judge the world around us. But the reality is, all of us ought to know that we are complicit. We are responsible. And lastly, I think all of us know by the reality of our life that we are all stained one of the things that's going to be very important for us to to be honest about today as we look at this passage is the reality of all of us dealing with a guilty conscience. We are always trying to have peace. We are always looking for that perpetual peace, that place where our conscience is at at rest. What is the conscience? What is conscience? It's self-evaluation in the presence of someone. That's what it is to 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 have that conscience. And and really, what we're talking about here is is, is that self evaluation in the presence in the presence of God. And the question that plagues us is: Are we fit? Are we fit for the presence of God? And the reality is, uh, most of us feel constantly that we we will not survive close self examination. If we are examined closely, we we fear so greatly that people will really find us out for who we really are. And in the presence of God, we have such great fear. Because we know that he knows who we really are. And we have that sense that we are not fit. So with guilt and with shame, guilt is more tied to what we have done. Shame is more tied to who we are. Who we are. But the reality is, this constant discussion of blood points out that there is a real problem that we all face. And that problem comes... From our sin. Now, the passage that we're going to be looking at today is all about how Jesus came to make atonement for our problem, for our sin. How he came with his own blood to actually fix all that is wrong deep within us. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to see that Jesus and who he is and what he has accomplished in his life and today, namely his death, it makes atonement in a full and final way. I wanna give you the passage outline for the day as we look at it. So I hope everybody can write it down because we're gonna be talking through it today together. So really, if we look at the passage, it can be divided into three main sections. So what I would love for you to do, we're gonna be walking through these sections together So you can write them down all now, or you can write them down one at a time as we go through them. But the basic message structure is this. In verses 1 through 10 of chapter 9, and really it's echoed again in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 10, what what the writer discusses is the insufficiency, insufficiency, the word I want you to write down, the insufficiency of the old sacrificial system. He then transitions to begin talking about Jesus. And namely, as he talks about Jesus, what he wants us to see is that the sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient. He's going to be doing that in verses 11 through 28 of chapter 9. Sufficient in the second section, namely, the sacrifice of Jesus. The sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient. And then, at the end of the passage, in verses 5 through 18 of chapter 10, we're going to see how. This atonement is enduring, how it's lasting, a lasting cleansing and forgiveness, okay? Now, another way, if you're wanting to understand the basic argument of this passage, I could add in little phrases, and I'll do that now. I don't know if you can see it quite well at home, but another way to understand the structure of his passage is he says, here's what was needed, okay? Here's the insufficiency. Here's what was needed, And secondly, here's what Jesus has accomplished. And thirdly, here's how it can transform you. So the basic way that he's helping us understand, he's he's all this discussion of the atonement and our deep need. Here's the deep need that we have. Here's what Jesus has done. And third, here's how it changes everything about your heart and life. So that's the basic argument of the passage today. So we're going to start by looking at number one, all right? Everybody with me? the insufficiency of the old sacrificial system. All right? So if you look at the first verses of chapter 9, one of the things that you'll notice is he goes into this description of the tabernacle. Now, not many of us probably are familiar with the tabernacle. We may not think about it a whole lot. It was what was prescribed to Moses in the Old Testament in Exodus. So there's a diagram up here, and... What I want you to kind of notice is how the tabernacle was designed, because ultimately what happens here is that the writer of Hebrews, in the first verses of chapter 9, wants to make sure that you're thinking back to this tabernacle system. And what he's doing is, he's saying, think about the way it was designed. The presence of God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. So this place was really, the whole place was a place that you would come to worship. Here we are, wanting to to have the opportunity to worship God. But if you notice the way it was designed, there's this big barrier around the outside. There's a single entrance into the inside. And when you get in, there is uh, basically uh, a system of barriers that would prevent you really from getting all the way into the very inner presence where the place of God dwell. In the tabernacle here, um, there are several things. Um, You have this outer court. This is a place of burnt offering where sacrifices would be made, a place of washing. But then you have this sanctuary, this inner place, and then there was like an inner, inner place here. In this inner place, what you had was a couple of pieces of furniture. All of them would symbolize Jesus. You would have the, the place where the, uh, the table stand, where the, the lamps would be burning. And essentially, there's no windows in this inner place, so it signifies how Jesus is the light of the world. You would have a table where there would be bread, and you would have a, a picture there of, of, of the reality that Jesus is our sustenance. You have an altar of incense, a picture of prayers being offered up in the very presence of God. But then you had this even within the inner place, an even more inner place. This was called the holy place. And then on this inside part was called the most holy place, the holy of holy places. And in this inner part, what you see here is there's a curtain. Not only do you have a curtain that would separate here, but you have another curtain that separates here. And inside this place, the holy of holy place, is the place where God's very presence dwelt. You'd have what we call the Ark of the Covenant. And inside of that ark where uh, you had the, the jar that had the daily manna in it, you had the, the, the rod that budded from Aaron, and also you had the tablets inside that signified God's great holiness. So what he does here is he says, I, I want you to understand that when, when we're talking about what Jesus has done for us, you've got to go back in your minds, okay? Everybody needs to be able to go back in your minds, and you've got to think about, This this design that God gave to Moses for how it is that we are are going to have an opportunity, if we have any opportunity to worship him, here's how it's got to happen. You've got to build this tabernacle, and you've got to do it exactly according to to this design. And he goes on in the book of Hebrews, and he says there in verse 6, look at chapter 9, verse 6. He says, He says, All of these preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section. So in other words, every day when you go to worship, the priests are all the time uh, basically receiving you, they're mediating for you, and they're performing, it says, their ritual duties. Now those ritual duties we've talked about before, um, they're making offerings, burnt offerings and gift offerings on behalf of your sins and, and ultimately to mediate between you and God. So you're, you're, you're constantly aware by the fact that you've got to bring in offerings and bring in something to be killed. You're constantly aware of your brokenness. You're constantly aware of your guilt. You're constantly aware of the stain of sin. And this is going on all the time. Hundreds of thousands of animals dying, gifts being offered. There, uh, this is what it takes to, to have opportunity to worship God. There's a constant awareness of sin. But then he goes on, he says, but into the second... He's talking about that inner sanctuary. Into the holy place, the most holy place, only the high priest goes, and he does this, but once a year. And not without taking blood. Here it is. He's got to have blood again. Which he offers for himself and the unintentional sins of the people. Now this once a year, I want to make sure everybody understands it. This is a reference to the Day of Atonement. All right? Hopefully, everybody's taking notes this morning, and you can write down the Scripture, Leviticus chapter 16. Because what he's saying is, he's drawing a reference. All of the Old Testament readers would have heard it and understood it. He's saying, on the Day of Atonement every year, there's only one day a year. When the, not just the priest, but the high priest, we've talked about this in previous messages, that one who was appointed among men uh, and anointed by God to be the leader of all the priests, it is this man and only this one who has the opportunity to go into the very holy of holies. And he says he does it by means of blood. Now, if you go back to the diagram, essentially what I want to show you here this morning, I hope everybody don't get bored. Please don't get bored. If you think this is archaic, it's not. It's about to become hugely relevant, okay? I want everybody to pay attention because it is hugely relevant. The high priest, he enters in to the, the sanctuary place, and he has with him a, a bull, and he has with him uh, some other animals, two goats and some rams. And what he does is there is a prescription there in Leviticus 16 for what he's supposed to do. First, he goes and he's wearing very special garments for this day. And he goes in and all of the assembly of Israel will be gathered around for this one day because it is the day, the one day a year by its name, that atonement would be offered for the sins of the people. That something would be done on behalf of all of the people to try to basically deal with the problem of sin. So everybody, everybody's leaning in, going, okay, oh my gosh, I mean, with all that has happened to me this year, everybody's thinking about this, and we're going, we're all gathered around, picture yourself gathered around watching this. And he goes in, and he takes the bull, and the first thing he does, he offers it here on the burnt offering, a whole bull. I mean, imagine the scene, and you've got this innocent animal, so to speak, that's that's being offered here on the altar, being killed. And it's a kind of gruesome scene. Blood is coming out, and the blood comes out of the animal, and it's put into basins, and he, he cleans himself with that. But then he takes that blood, and he walks in to this holy place. And not only does he walk into the holy place, but on this one day of a year, he actually is able to, 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 to actually Peel back the curtain. He and only he can do it. But he's actually going through this curtain into the holy of holy places, the place where God's presence dwelled. And he's told to, to basically fog the whole area up with incense so that he he wouldn't be seen and wouldn't be struck down by God. A chain is around his foot in case something happens, so people can pull him out without they themselves going in. And he goes into the holy of holy places. Not by means of his own blood, but by the blood of, of, of the bull that has just been killed. And he makes atonement there for himself and for his family. Covering the Ark of the Covenant. Covering that, the place of the holiness of God with all of that blood to make atonement for himself and his family. He comes back out, and interestingly, they take two goats. All right? I've got a picture here to kind of show you what's going on. They take two goats out in this area. One of them, um, th- what, what happens is they, they kill one of them in the sight of all of the people. And they take that blood, and he goes back into to the holy, holy places, and he offers that blood, the blood of that sacrifice, to atone, to cover the sins of the people. And the other goat, they take and they lay their hands upon it. And the whole assembly, imagine all of us here, and they lay their hands upon it, and all of the sins of all the people are confessed out loud and basically symbolically transferred to this animal. And this animal is taken outside the camp and is pushed out, shame upon it, all the sin, and pushed out of the people into the wilderness. Now, so interesting what the Bible speaks, because the writer is alluding to this. He says, I want everybody to think in your minds about the Day of Atonement and to think about what has been prescribed by God to take place. And yet, here's what I want you to think about. This didn't really ever bring full forgiveness. This didn't ever really accomplish in full effect what it was what we all hoped it would accomplish in fact if you go let's make a little list there's some insufficiencies even in the system that God himself prescribed for them to be working under and making sacrifices under in the old covenant look at the insufficiencies that he describes number 1 he says it In this old system, there was limited access to God. Look at verse 8. He says, by this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened. In other words, one of the things that is so frustrating is that in that old system, even though year after year after year this is what they did, only one person, one out of all of us, have the opportunity to actually go in to the place where God's presence dwells. It is all of our longing. I mean, every one of us, right? We long for the presence of God. We long to be able to, to be restored into the presence of God. And yet, in the old system, there's brokenness still there because it's, there's limited access to God. Secondly, in the old system, what we see is that a second insufficiency And that is that the old system did not perfect the conscience of the worshiper. It did not perfect the conscience. Look at verse 9. He says, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that what? Cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. In other words, similar to Lady Macbeth, (laughs) there's there's this constant awareness. You're just constantly seeing spots. And the reality is, What happens here is dealing with food and drink and washings, regulations of the body. You're going through the motions, you're seeing the animal killed, but in your heart, in your heart, there's still this lingering reality of the ongoing presence and effect of sin. There's this shame, not only guilt of what we've done, but shame of who we are. And we keep seeing spots, spots, and spots, and it drives us nuts. And the reality is, in this old system, There was not a perfection of the conscience. There's a limitation there, an insufficiency there. Third, what we see is another insufficiency is that it was not complete and final. In this old sacrificial system, there was no completion to it. There was no finality of it. In fact, it went on and on and on and on. No matter how many animals were offered, another had to be offered after it. No matter how many days of atonement there were, there was always another day of atonement after it. No matter how many high priests went in, another one had to go in the next year after it. I mean, it just went on and on and on. And the Bible speaks in verse 10, he says, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered, cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. They deal only with these external things, regulations for the body. And then he says, imposed until the time of reformation which he's basically indicating this is not, it it, it was not forever. It was a temporary thing. There's got to be something else that comes that would completely change the way that we relate to God and would offer a full and final atonement. Something is needed to change what has been happening. So, the bottom line is this this old system, this old sacrificial system, it was not enough. It was not enough. And you can see this if you turn in your Bible and look at chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. What he says is, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of the realities. In other words, what he's saying is, All of this was never meant to be the end-all be-all. All All of this is a shadow meant to leading you to the real thing, leading you to the truer form, the true reality of what is. He says it can never, this old system can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. It's so interesting because I I think a lot of us, a lot of us, I I know conversations that I have with myself, with you. I've had the opportunity to travel other places and cultures around the world. It is so funny because there are so many of us that are still stuck in this old system. If I could just do a little more, if I could just offer a little something more, if I could just beat myself up a little bit harder, if I could just discipline myself a little more strenuously, if I could just make the right sacrifice we there are a lot of us that are still stuck in literally still trying to make atonement for ourselves and what he's saying is about this old system (laughs) doesn't matter how many animals you kill not gonna do the trick doesn't matter you know how good you try to be it's not gonna do the trick doesn't matter. As long as it's you trying to make atonement for yourself, whatever that looks like, not going to do the trick. It can never make perfect those who draw near. He said that about the system, and it's true for this day. Verse 2, he goes on and he says, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? In other words, if that had worked, then why are they still doing it? At some point, you've got to ask yourself, like, why does this have to keep going and going and going? Because if, if It had worked. The worshipers, having been once cleansed, they no longer have consciousness of sin. The very ongoing nature of the system proves that it didn't work. And then he says in verse 3 and 4, look at your Bibles, chapter 10. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. Key verse here. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is just not possible for anything that you do in and of yourself to, to bring forgiveness of your heart and life. It is not possible for anything you do in and of yourself to bring freedom of consciousness. It is not possible for anything that you do in and of yourself to remove guilt, stain. It's not possible. It is impossible for anything that you do or any animal that you kill to to take away sin. It is impossible. So, the first section here, he says, Do you see? Do you see the problem? What's been happening up to this point, what you've been looking for up to this point, the old system can't provide it. It's just insufficient. But he says in section two, It's not over here, see? It's not over because in section 2 he goes on and he says while you've got insufficiency there there is one who can make it possible and his name is Jesus as we dealt with those questions at the beginning how do we deal with guilty conscience how do we find freedom from shame and failure how do we find healing for our souls How is it that we can find release from shame? How is it that we can find peace in the presence of God? See, in the old system, it's not enough. But in section two, he says, I'll tell you how, and it's Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ came to do what no priest has ever done before. He came to offer himself (laughs) as a sufficient sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. So in section two, what we see is the author says, I want to show you that Jesus is better in how he makes atonement. I want to show you that he is sufficient. Who he is and the work that he's accomplished, he can make atonement for you. Look at your Bibles, chapter 9, verse 10, after he leaves us in a place of seeing the frustration of the old system and seeing, feeling the frustration of what we, what we know in our own lives. Look at verse 11. What does it start with? What does it start with? But. (laughs) It's a word of contrast. And he says, wait, wait, wait. But when Christ appeared. In other words, he's making a connection here, a contrast. He's going, but wait, wait, wait. All of this has changed when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. In other words, friends, the day of shadows is over. We have now moved from shadows to substance. And the substance of what that whole tabernacle system was about, all of that was about Jesus. The very reason that God gave that specific instruction for the way it was designed and the way that they were to have atonement, all of it was about Jesus. All of that that you see in the Old Testament sacrificial system was pointing the way to the day that Jesus appeared. Because when Jesus appeared, he appeared as our high priest. And he appeared not only to to mediate, but he himself appeared to become the sacrifice that would be needed for atonement of sin. If you look there at verse 11, he says he's appeared not just in the earthly tabernacle, but the way he comes, he actually ministers in the greater and more perfect tent. In other words, he's saying that whole picture of the tabernacle in the earthly system was meant to be a picture of the heavenly place, the very place where God's presence actually dwells in heaven. And when Jesus comes, he's not just working on earth, but he's working in the very presence of God. What he does, he does for eternity and for real. He says there in verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. This is amazing, guys, because if you think back to the Day of Atonement, right? Go back to the diagram. What he's saying is, when Jesus appeared, <laughs> this is amazing, and all of us have had the opportunity to witness what Jesus has done. He came in to make atonement on the day of atonement, which is the day that Jesus died. But when he came in, he didn't come in, everybody's wondering, like, what, where are his animals? Like, where's the bull? Where are, where are the goats? Where are the rams? Like uh, atonement has we made, uh, shedding of, without shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Where, where are the animals? Where, where are the sacrifices? He comes empty-handed. But amazingly, what we see is on the place of the burnt offering, instead of him taking an innocent animal and killing it, which has been done and done and done and done and done and done and done. Instead of that, he offers his own body upon the altar. It's not by means of goats and bulls, but by means of his own blood. No wonder, as John looks at Jesus, he says, what? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. No other spotless lamb, no matter how cute, no matter how clean, could ever forgive you of sin, could ever clean your conscience, could ever remove your guilt before God. And yet, here comes Jesus, and he offers himself as the lamb. He himself offers his own body there upon the place of sacrifice. On the cross, we see the shedding of his blood. And why is his blood shed? If if the shedding of blood is brokenness and guilt and stain, it's not for himself because he had no brokenness. He had no guilt. He had no stain. He offers himself. The whole point of atonement is on our behalf. He gives his own body and he sheds his own blood. It is our sins that he is dying for And then, having thus given himself for our sins, he walks into the the holy place with his own blood. And there, in the very presence of God, not the earthly tabernacle, but in the very presence of God in the heavenly places, the greater tent, which all of this was symbolizing, Jesus walks in with his own blood, and he pours it out there in the holy of holies in front of the very presence of God. And as he does so, Remember, he he has no sin, so he's not making sacrifice for himself. There's no sin for him. He's doing this for us. And in pouring out his own blood, he secures for us an eternal redemption. How amazing is that. In essence, if you go back to the the two goats, Jesus is, he fulfills the symbolism of both goats. He offers his own body, and it's his blood that's poured out for our sins so that we who deserve death could be spared death. We who are guilty could be forgiven. We who are shamed could be brought into the presence of God, cleansed and free. He gives his own body over to death, but also all of our sins are put upon him. In other words, just like the, the, the hands there transferring to the goat, all of our sins upon him. And when he suffered, do you remember the end of Hebrews in chapter 13? It says that he not only suffered, but he suffered outside the camp. It's the picture that he, he bore not only our sins, but he bore our shame, and he was sent out. He was sent out for all who believe in him. It's beautiful. It's absolutely amazing. And you know, at the end of the Day of Atonement, the the priest in the Old Testament would always go back inside and he would change his clothes and reappear to the people. And Jesus, after having made eternal redemption for us, so to speak, went in and changed his clothes and after three days reappeared to the people who were eagerly waiting for him. And in doing so, he became the substance to all that had been a shadow, pointing to him up to this point, And he secured for us a sufficient salvation. Praise the Lord. I want to cover a few things that the passage covers as it relates to how his sacrifice was truly sufficient. Number one, his sacrifice can perfect the conscience. His sacrifice perfects the conscience. If you look at verse 13 and 14, He says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of the heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, will he purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more can God purify your conscience? Think about it. If you are eaten up with guilt, if you are constantly seeing spots, and nothing you have ever done has ever been able to truly bring a purity of conscience, a freedom of conscience to you, I want to tell you what can. Jesus Christ and his shed blood on your behalf. Because when Jesus makes atonement, when he shed his own blood, he can cover all of your sin and cleanse you, cleanse you from the inside He's not bringing a washing to your body. He's bringing a washing to your soul. And truly, friends, He can clean your conscience. Put your trust in Him. Repent of sin and trust Him. Secondly, not only does He perfect the conscience, but He secures eternal redemption. Verse 15. He secures eternal redemption. What we read is there, verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood. And then he says, thus securing an eternal redemption. And then verse 15, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. The great joy of knowing Jesus is that not only does he do this just today, but he does it for all time. And he secures for us the opportunity to be redeemed now and forever. Thirdly, he restores full access to God. He restores full access to God. If you look at verse 24, the writer of Hebrews deals with that curtain that stood in the Old Testament time. But he says, But Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but he's entered into heaven itself. To now appear in the very presence of God on our behalf. If you remember the day that Jesus died, that curtain that stood in the way between us and the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God, was torn from top to bottom, signifying that the way has now been opened for us to be restored into the very presence of God ourselves. Fourth and finally, he offers total forgiveness. He offers total forgiveness. What we see there in verses 25 to 28, says, Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as a high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not of his own, for then he'd have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he's appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Do you see? Jesus came sacrificing himself, and the purpose of his coming was... To put away sin. It means he came to offer forgiveness. And look at verse 27 and 28. He says, And just as it was appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Christ came. Why? To be offered once to bear the sins Many. In other words, if you trust Christ, He can forgive you of all sin. By taking upon your debt upon Himself, He can offer you the opportunity to be forgiven fully, finally, to be set free. Praise the Lord. So, what He says here in the second section is this Jesus and His atoning work is sufficient. It's sufficient all of that old tabernacle system, all of it was fulfilled in Jesus. All of it was pointing the way to the day that Jesus would come and not only be our high priest, but also be our perfect sacrifice. And by offering himself, make atonement for us. So where does all of this lead in closing today? Where does all of this lead? It leads us to this last section, If you understand this, then you'll understand how it can transform your life. Because the reality is, is with Jesus, and only Jesus, can there be lasting, cleansing, and forgiveness. Jesus, and what He has done, His sacrifice is enduring, and He can bring lasting cleansing and forgiveness. If you look there to the end of chapter 9 and those verses in chapter 10, over and over in the passage, you see this phrase, once for all. He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. If you look at verse 27 and 28, he says, After that, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 and 6, it talks about, Consequently, when Christ came to the world, he said, and he quotes here from Psalm 40, sacrifices and offerings you've not desired, but a body you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in this in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you've neither desired or taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And then in verse 10, here it is again. And by that, we will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, say it with me, once for all. He goes in verse 11 and he says, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins, but... When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool by his feet. And then in verse 14, in case you haven't heard it yet, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Do you see over and over and over? What does the writer want us to see? This thing happened one time, and it happened for all time. This thing, Jesus did, happened once, and by the one offering of his body, he accomplished for all time the opportunity for everyone who repents of sin and puts their faith in him to be atoned for, to be forgiven to be cleansed in conscience, to be set free of shame, to be restored into the very presence of God once for all time. No priest has ever done this before. Every other priest, they're they're constantly working. They're constantly taking your sacrifice. They're constantly killing animals. They're constantly making atonement, taking in blood year after year, day after day, 24-7. It was a constant operation. But when Jesus came, all of it changed because by the one by the one offering of himself, the perfect Lamb of God, he accomplished for all time what was needed to make atonement for us. It's over. It's over to the degree that when he finished, he sat down. What a picture. No other priest had ever sat down in his service, but Jesus has finished it. That's why from the cross, he said, Tetelestai, It is finished. The only thing now that remains, friends, the only thing that remains is for you to trust him, for you to receive from him, for you to go to him and say, oh, Jesus, I believe you. I put my hand upon you, and I, and I confess all of my sin. I, I'm willing to all, let all of it be transferred by you. And I believe that as you poured out your own body, your own blood, that it was enough for me. Oh, cleanse me Wash me with your blood. Cleanse me with your Holy Spirit. Bring me back into the presence of God. Forgive me. Forgive me. Restore me. Heal me. Make me new. It's all done. He's perfected for all time. All who have been set apart, who have trusted him. So we go back to the beginning and we go, okay, shame, guilt, fear. Why? Sin. Sin. It plagues us. It paralyzes us. It haunts us. It hinders us. It follows us. We have this feeling of failure. The questions come, what do we do about it? How do we deal with it? How do we find freedom? How do we get healing for our souls? How is it that we can be released from shame? How can we find peace in the presence of God? And the answer comes, Jesus. The work of Jesus is sufficient. Look at the very end of Hebrews 10. i close with this. Verse 15 and 16, 17 and 18. The Holy Spirit bears witness saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, and I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, There is no longer any offering for sin. In other words, what he's saying is, if you trust in Jesus, something new will happen. He will forgive you, he will free you, he will cleanse you, he will heal you. You will experience a transformation of heart from the inside out and truly Because of the work that Jesus has done for you, he will remember your sins no more. As Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Not only was Jesus slain for us, but he was cast out. Our sin has been cast into the depth of the sea. And he covers us by means of his own blood. In the very presence of God's holiness, how could we Could he deal with our sinfulness? How is it possible? It's possible because our sinfulness has been covered by the blood of a sinless one, Jesus Christ. And by his atonement, we can be forgiven and free. The promise, the yearning of our hearts for the fulfillment of the promise of God, it's all been fulfilled in Jesus. Because of Jesus and his finished work and his death, There is no longer any offering remaining for sin. It's not up to you anymore. It's all up to him. And he's finished the work. And you can trust him and receive him. And for all who have received him, you know what we do? Verse 27 and 28 of chapter 9, Do you know what we do? He says, there's coming a day that he's going to appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. I can't wait for the day. That we get to see. Some got to see it already. The day of the resurrection. (laughs) The high priest after making atonement went and changed his garments. And he reappeared to the people. Jesus did that. But there's coming a day friends. That he will come again. And all who have been forgiven and cleansed by the blood. We now eagerly wait with our eyes. With our eyes fixed on him. Eagerly await for his reappearing. What a glorious day it's going to be. Amen. So I pray this morning that you know that Jesus has done what no priest has ever done before. Jesus can do it. How can he do it? He can truly and finally cleanse us. How? By the sufficient sacrifice of himself. So this morning as we close, I just want to encourage you, whether you're here in our building today or whether you're watching online at home, I just want to encourage you to come to Jesus to trust him, to recognize the beauty of who he is and the beauty of what he has accomplished. Truly, truly, he's done what no priest could ever do before, and he's done what you cannot do for yourself. He can fully and finally make cleansing. He can make atonement for you, cleaning your very heart, forgiving you and freeing you as you trust him. So today, do that. Trust him. He has given himself for you. Father, thank you for the time that we've had together today in worship. And we pray, God, we pray today, God, thanks. (laughs) Thanks be to you for what you've done for us. God, I pray that we would trust you. Lord, all of us are plagued by sin, guilt, and shame. And Lord, all of us need the opportunity to be forgiven, to be restored in your presence. Lord, we cannot do that for ourselves. Only you can do it, but thank you, God, that you have done it. You, the spotless lamb, came not only to be our high priest, but to be yourself the sacrifice needed to cover our sin, to cleanse our conscience, and to set us right with you. Lord, we come to you today putting all of our trust in you, putting our hands out to the Lord, confessing our sin so that, Lord, our hope could be secure in you. Thank you, Lord. We pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.